You've held it in your hands. You've worked it, brushed it off your clothes. And you probably take it for granted. It's soil, or in other words, dirt, loam, clay, mud, and muck. And it's probably one of the most remarkable elements of creation. Well, it's interesting, um, you know, some people refer to the soil as dirt. To a soil scientist, dirt is a dirty word. And I think in general, people need to think about soil as soil and not dirt. They need to see it as something that needs to be nurtured like any other life. The wonder of creation, soil, the foundation of life on this day of discovery. Soil. It's so common that we can easily forget how precious it is. And it's so rare in the universe that we can easily miss its significance to our planet. Soil is the foundation for all living things, including humanity. So what is this vital material out of which all of life arises and to which all of life eventually returns? It doesn't look like much just a layer of fine mineral particles and organic material in which plants take root. Yet this amazing material is the virtual breeding ground for all life on Earth. To appreciate the value of soil, we need to understand its origins. Soil's chemical elements are stored inside solid rocks and lava. To accelerate the release of nutrients, a rock must be broken into smaller pieces. This is done through weathering and erosion. Glaciers also help by grinding up large rocks, releasing vast quantities of nutrients that eventually combine with dead plants and animal life to make soil. Planet Earth is unique in the cosmos for having this wonderful life-giving soil. The lack of rich organic soil is one reason that all other planets in the universe are void of life. Where is life possible? The moment we know of one place in the entire visible universe in which life can exist, and it's on this thin film on the surface of a single terrestrial planet around one small yellow star called the Earth. That's the only place we know of in the entire universe in which life is possible. Imagine how special that is, uh, a thin layer on a planet perhaps 10 miles deep in which all of the life that we know of in the universe can and must exist. To get an idea about the extreme rarity of soil in the universe, imagine the Earth as an apple. Cut it in half and examine the flat side. A tiny rim of red skin barely shows at the outer edge. That slim arc represents the soil thinly spread across the surface of the entire planet. And so it's just this thin layer of the earth that supports life. And you have to then think of the amount of this surface of the earth that's water, desert, and places that are not very productive. So in the end, it's only a small slice of this earth that has soil that supports the billions of people that are there. The soil is really the, the physical basis for all our existence. 
plants come from the soil, things that are made from the plants that come from the soil. Uh, the animals, all the animal resources that we have, ultimately come from the soil. But even things such as uh, your plastic shopping bags, metal to make uh, automobiles, these also come from the soil. Plastics come from oil, which comes from the earth. Originally came from, again, plants and animals. And so we see this, the constant recycling back to the soil. Soil is the anchor of the biosphere, that part of the earth and its atmosphere where all life exists. There's a lot of speculation that whatever happened here on the earth probably happened countless times elsewhere, so that the earth was really quite an ordinary place. We now know uh, that the earth is very likely to be uh, exceedingly rare, at least earth-like conditions are very rare in the universe. The vast majority of places not just in our solar system, but uh, throughout the universe, are going to be hostile to life. They simply won't have the necessary ingredients that you need in a planetary environment uh, for life to exist and to prosper. And so when you look at all the things that life needs in a planetary environment, you come to realize just how special a place the Earth really is. Why would the universe need to be so vast and seemingly infinite if all life was concentrated on this one tiny terrestrial ball? Is the apparent absence of life anywhere else in the cosmos a clue to human significance? Was it somehow intended that life should exist here and that it should exist for a defined purpose? Imagine that you had vast powers and could create a life-sustaining planet from raw ingredients. What would the ingredients be that you would need? Well, first you need, of course, the right kinds of elements to build a rocky planet like the Earth called a terrestrial planet. Uh, metals and elements heavier than hydrogen and helium that could that build the structure of the planet. The planet itself needs to be made of the right materials in the right form. For instance, the Earth has a liquid iron core that rotates, and in the way it rotates, it creates a magnetic field, literally a force field that protects the surface of the Earth and the atmosphere from bombardment from rays uh, from the cosmos in general and from the sun. Uh, then you need the planet to be the right size. If it's too small, it won't be able to hold an atmosphere that life needs on its surface too large, and it will end up holding too many things like hydrogen, and you end up with a gas giant planet. Then the planet actually needs something like a large, well-placed moon that stabilizes the planet's tilt on its axis. It's that tilt that gives us the, the diversity of climate patterns on the surface of the Earth that makes it such a hospitable planet for life. Then that planet needs to be in the right place, the right neighborhood, with in the solar system, the so-called Goldilocks zone, uh, around a star where it's not too hot and not too cold for liquid water, because you need liquid water as a, a necessary ingredient for life. Then you need the right kind of planetary neighbors like the Earth has. Planets like Jupiter and Saturn, for instance, these gas giants in the outer part of the solar system, actually protect the inner part of the solar system, Earth's neighborhood, uh, as it were, from the bombardment of too many comets in the outer part of the solar system. Then you need to be in the right kind of galaxy, our home galaxy, the Milky Way, is the right age and size to have the kind of elements, materials that you need to build an Earth-like planet. And then you actually need to be in the right neighborhood within the galaxy. You don't want to be too close to the center of the galaxy, which is very dangerous, or too far out on the edge where there aren't elements for building an Earth. You have to get all of these things and many more just right the same time and place to build a single habitable planet like the Earth. What are the essential conditions required to support life? 
First, moderate temperature. Second, a continuous supply of energy. And third, essential chemicals. To moderate temperature, water and the layer of atmosphere surrounding the Earth protects life and produces a cycle of rain and evaporation that controls temperature changes like a huge central heating and cooling system. Then to support life, continuous energy comes from the sun. The sun warms our planet and sustains the food and fuel we burn. Living organisms also need a variety of the essential chemical elements like carbon and nitrogen to survive. And the Earth's soil is a storehouse of these essential building blocks of life. But water is by far the most important ingredient for life. That's in part why the science academies of the world spend billions of dollars on the search for water on other planets. Without water, there can be no life as we know it. Without a constant recycling of water, Earth's temperatures would be similar to those on Venus and Mars, too cold or too hot for life to exist. But for water to recycle, it needs a place to be absorbed and then released slowly to evaporate. And the only places that can happen are in oceans or in the soil. On Earth, water absorbs the sun's energy as it evaporates into the vapor phase. Vapor and warm air rise near the tropics and sink near the poles. This causes winds to blow. Winds move vapor toward higher altitudes where it releases the absorbed energy and becomes rain. This constant absorbing, releasing, and redistributing of solar energy by water is called the hydrological cycle, Earth's enormous circulatory system. But without soil, there would be no hydrological cycle. Water would constantly evaporate and never stay on the ground long enough to break down organic material and feed living organisms so necessary for plants and animals to survive. The Earth's unique atmosphere, its water and its soil, make our planet a remarkable incubator and preserver of life. Because of the apparent uniqueness of life on Earth, some astrophysicists have proposed a theory, the Anthropic Principle. The Anthropic Principle states that the universe appears to have a purpose, and that that purpose is to support life, especially human life, on this tiny speck of a planet. According to the Anthropic Principle, it takes a universe with all of its planets, stars, and physical laws woven together and fine-tuned to make Earth the living planet that it is. After decades of rejecting the idea of an intelligent designer, many naturalistic scientists now confess that the universe itself, and especially our living planet, demonstrate the necessity of a godlike mind as the source of the cosmos and of the planet that is the home of such rich and diverse material life, our good and fruitful Earth. Perhaps no one appreciates the fruitfulness of our planet more than the farmer, who every day marvels at nature's life cycle. Through planting, cultivating, 
and harvesting the crops that provide for our food. The poets of ancient Israel often exulted over the wonder of life rising from the soil. The Lord waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. Psalm 104. And soil, with all its uh, valuable nutrients, is the life and breath of our farm. There is no escaping that we want to be a part of the soil. We want to touch the soil. I'd like to show you our soil, if I could, and why it works. If you see all the, the density of our plants, it's very difficult to actually see our soil, see all the organic uh, residue that's accumulated. And as we get down, uh, you can see a, a earthworm hole right there. There's a little uh, insect running. These are, would be pretty good size uh, for what else is under the soil. That's healthy. You can smell the health of the soil. What's the recipe for this amazing, life-giving substance called soil? All soils are made up of particles of sand, silt, and clay. And those three elements make up all soils around the globe. It's the different percentages of these particles, in addition to organic material and water, that determine how well each type of soil can produce and sustain life. The small grains of this, uh, of this plant are exceptionally nutritious. They have almost twice as much protein as corn and a much better mix of amino acids in that protein. Understanding soil and its capacity to be fruitful is a major work of ECHO, an agricultural research center in Fort Myers, Florida. ECHO networks with people and agencies around the world to address the interrelated problems of poverty and hunger. The people of ECHO recognize that understanding the structure of soil is a key factor in addressing hunger. If you have a lot of clay, you have a clay soil. And clay soils are okay for some respects. They hold water very well, they hold nutrients very well, but they're also really hard. They're hard to work with. They're hard to dig in. They're hard to plant in. They're hard for roots to grow down into because of that clay structure. If you have more silt or sand in your soil, you may have a, a clay loam or a sandy loam or a sandy soil. A sandy soil obviously has a lot of sand particles in it. And sandy soils, again, they have some advantages. They're very easy to work with. It's really easy to plant in and to hoe in, to build a garden. but they don't hold water very well. When you water them, the water just runs straight out. They don't hold nutrients very well. They have very few nutrients in them naturally because of the nature of sand. So they have a lot of disadvantages as well. The soil works a lot like a sponge. Without soil, there would be no way to absorb water or to store it on Earth. The best kind of soil is a loam soil, which has a good mixture of sand, silt, and clay. 
holds water very well, it holds nutrients very well, and it's also fairly easy to work with. It's not so hard like a clay soil would be. The thing that you see that's different between these two samples is the darkness in color, and what creates that is this, this rich organic matter. Uh, even in our deep sandy soils here, uh, we're able to accumulate a higher percentage of soil organic matter, and this is the life of the soil. And this is often underestimated in the definition of soil. We often think of soil as defined by particles and texture and what type of mineral is present. And this is very important. But what is often underestimated and more complex to understand is the soil biology, those organisms that are hard to see. I think one of the reasons why our culture in North America is less familiar with the soil than with plants or rocks and minerals is that the soil is hidden away it's below ground and I think what people need to realize is that even though the soil is hidden away and it's below ground it is teeming with life it's been said for example that the total mass of all of the microorganisms in the soil exceeds that of the large mammals deer and so on that reside on the surface of the soil In just a teaspoon of healthy soil, you can have up to a billion bacteria from 25,000 different species. Without soil, you could not sustain plant life, which processes the sun's energy and supplies food for animals and ultimately for us. Thread by thread, various life forms weave together a terrestrial web of life. Plants are the primary producers. Through photosynthesis, they transform solar energy into chemical energy and store it in organic matter. Animals are consumers. They eat the organic matter and redistribute it to fertilize the soils. Microorganisms are decomposers, and they decompose the organic matter into elements that enrich the soil, which in turn helps plants grow. Billions of microorganisms decompose dead plants and animals, returning the essential elements back into the soil, which provides food for new plants to grow. It tends to humble us when we recognize that the same elements that make up soil, namely nitrogen, carbon, phosphorus, oxygen, and water, also make up our own bodies. This is a truth expressed by a verse found in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Genesis chapter 3. Those are the two chief resources that God gives us. The soil that he uses to create us, and then man himself. Our creativity and our capacity to use this soil and the ground that God has given us. Uh, both to fulfill human needs and to glorify God. Take these three English words that we're familiar with, the word humble, the word humus, uh, life-giving soil, and the word human, all resemble each other. It's the same thing in Hebrew, in the biblical language. Adamah refers to the ground, and Adam is both the proper name of a man, uh, and the man, Adam, and man generically, mankind, humankind. There's a relatedness in the way in which we speak of these things between the ground and the soil and the humility, the humbleness 
of the ground. All uh, of us in some way relate to the ground, both come from the dust of the earth and return to it, uh, and our humanity, so that human beings aren't uh, ghostly beings, angels, or disembodied spirits that just happen to be sitting in physical bodies temporarily. We are ensulled bodies, or uh, composite spiritual material creatures, so that it's part of our essence to be embodied creatures. Every person is a soul, occupying a material body, which comes from the soil just as surely as that of Adam, who, according to the Bible, was the first man to be formed from the material elements of the earth. The pastor throws soil on the casket and says, dust to dust. This represents death and the returning of the earth, but also it's with the hope of the resurrection. It doesn't end with death. And that's the same way with, with soil. There is death in that process, but it also leads to new life as things use the nutrients and come back to life. So you're making compost out of the banana stalks, you're breaking it up to what we do, just put it as a, in a compost pile or use it as a mulch on the vegetables. In part, it is this same reality that motivates the staff at ECHO. As they study and work the soil, they see this wonderful substance as a metaphor of the life cycle on Earth. Life arises in organic matter, flourishes and then dies, returning its organic matter to the Earth. Plants in the bodies of animals and people go through the same humbling experience. <laughs> 